Okay, so this is actually a re-recording of the workshop that we began with for this new workshop series entitled Eretz Yisrael and Me. Hopefully this will be um, a theme that we can revisit and that these few workshops that we're gonna do are really a, um, they're really just chapter headings. There's an, enough to jump into uh, to really do not just one year, but like a few years of just focusing on the relationship between Eretz Yisrael and me. Me means me, the individual, and me as in the collective us of uh, the Jewish nation. And really, as we'll see, hopefully at the end of this particular wor workshop, uh, Eretz Yisrael and me as all of humanity, all of the world, all of the universe, and the, this entire project uh, of creation that God embarked on at the beginning of time. So we're going to start tonight with an introduction to the introductions. And I entitled this, The Significance of Makom, The Significance of Space, of Places. And um, as a way of introduction, I wanted to offer... Uh, an exercise for us to, to jump into. And uh, so that if you have a pen and paper, or if you don't and you want to just imagine this in your mind, you certainly can. We'll do this for a minute or two. Think of a scene. Think of a scene that's really beautiful to you. It could be a scene that you saw. could be a scene that you dreamed of. could be something recent. could be something... Uh, far off in your memory, but think of a scene that you witnessed yourself in. Think of a scene that you were present in. When you have that in your mind, take a moment and just write down just the objective description of that place. No adjectives, no feelings, nothing personal, just what is there? What do you see in that scene? Spend a minute and write that down. And now, take another minute, and instead of writing what you saw, describe your experience there. In this exercise, just the adjectives. What was your subjective experience? What was my subjective experience in that scene? And try as hard as you can to not describe what you saw, but only describe what you feel, what you felt. And finally, 
just take a moment and kind of orient ourselves around the place that I'm in, the room that I'm in, the building that I'm in, the city that I'm in, the state that I'm in, the country that I'm in. Just take a moment and orient myself. Where am I? Where am I found right now? It is really a matter of being mindful of the fact that we are influenced by, and of course, influence. We are both the receiver of influence from the spaces that we inhabit, and we also project into the spaces that we have our personality, our energy, etc. And so, for us to embark on a discussion of what the word makom means, place, we need to really think about this, the places that exist, our relationship to those places, and those places' relationships to us. And that's really what I want to kind of jump into tonight. The word makom, as we'll see, is a very interesting word that seems to simply be translated as the word place. But as we'll jump into tonight, of course, Makom is one of the names of Hashem. We'll get into that. We'll address that. And I think to try in a certain way to understand the significance of a place, we're going to talk about the relationship that I have, that we have with Eretz Yisrael, we should first orient ourselves on what is the significance of places in our psycho-spiritual religious lives. So just one or two interesting things that are that I thought would be uh, a way of wetting our appetite when we begin this discussion of the word makom are two different ramazim. One of the ramazim that's found in this farm is, is that if you take the shame havaya, yud, k, vav, and k, which, which equals 26, if you take every letter in the shame havaya and you multiply it by itself, and then you, you take the sum total of all of that, the total of that is the same of the word makom. Makom. So that's one, it's one interesting, uh, interesting thing that, the, that somehow the word Havaya, the word, uh, the, the word that we use to describe Hashem, yud ke vav ke, somehow expanded in a certain way. If you multiply the letters of yud ke vav ke, that somehow represents Hashem's name. Actually, somehow that represents the makom, the place that we're in. Another rem is that I saw the Svarm Rav Yitzchak Ginsburg, the Mashpia. Makom is six times the word kale, Aleph Lamed. Six times Hashem's name. Kel is Hashem's name, but kel also can be translated to mean el, to something, like direction. I'm going El Hamakom to the place. So six times the word Kel is Gematria Makom, because of course there are six different directions: right, left, up, down, backwards, and forwards. And this is why there's a place called Base Kel, the place of Hashem, the Beis Hamikdash, Base Kel. Okay. 
So let's begin with our sources. Let's jump into our sources and try as we may in our own way to learn about what this word makom represents and then tie that into what it means to be in a particular place and connect that specifically to the place, the makom that's called Eretz Yisrael. So we begin really with the first source. It's the classic source that uh, much of the the drushes and chazal about the word makom are found. And that is in the Pasuk, in Parshas Vayetze, when Yaakov leaves Haran Vayetze, Yaakov Meber Shava Vayela Harana. So in our, in our way, we're going to just read the English. We're not going to um, necessarily read the Hebrew of the Pasuk. The, the first two psukim in Parshas Vayetze, and Yaakov left Be'er Sheva and he went to Haran. And he met the place and he went to sleep because the sun set. And he took the stones of the place and placed them by his head. And he went to sleep in that place. Right? Vayifka Bamakom, he met the place. He went to sleep there because the sun had set. He chose from the stones of that place and he put those under his head. And he lay down in that place. So the Medrash, the Medrash Rabbah, has a few explanations as to what the word makom means. So some of this is also found in the Gemara, but the Medrash says like this. Another explanation of this verse is that the word vayifka, which means to meet, can be interpreted as prayer. And the place that's referenced to in this, in this Pasuk references the Beis HaMikdash. There are three times that the word makom is found in this in this parsha in this pasuk, three bate mikdashim. The word makom says the medrash references the place. The medrash says there. It's a different medrash. The medrash says that when Hashem created the earth, He first created the Evan Ashesia. He first created a stone, and from there, He drew from that stone that He that He first created. In the Evan Shasia, he drew from that stone and expanded that stone to create the material of the rest of the world. That means all earth, all earth is in some way, shape, or form an expansion of the Evan Shasia, an expansion of that first stone that Hashem used to create the world. And where, of course, is the Evan Shasia? The Evan Shasia is in the Harabayas, which is the place of the Beis HaMikdash. Another measure says, that when Hashem created Adam, when Hashem created man, so he created man and put man in Gan Eden. But where did he draw the material from man's body, from the earth, right? It says he drew it from the earth. Where was that earth? Where was the place of that earth? From the same place, from the makom of the Harhabayas, from the makom of the Evan Shasia. So again, our first encounter and the way we're learning it tonight, our, in our first encounter, the word makom means the Beis HaMikdash. Three times it says in that Pasuk, makom, representing the three different Bate Mikdashim, and there are beautiful drushes we can make about each one of those three uh, languages, of those three times that the, that the word makom is used. 
that's the first base on Mikdash. So there are a lot of beautiful Midrashim of what it means to meet the place and go to sleep there. He took from the plate the stones of the place and he put it under his head. That's the second base on Mikdash. And he went to sleep. And he went to sleep in that place. So again, that's the third base on Mikdash and beautiful different Ramazim about how each one of these three things represent the, the, the three Bate Mikdashim. But let's move on to really a different Medrash. It's not really a different Medrash. It's the beginning of the Medrash of the source that we just read. Rav Huna in the name of Ravami said, why is Hashem sometimes referred to as the place? Why is Hashem sometimes referred to as the place? One of the names of Hashem, as we said before, is place. Why is Hashem sometimes referred to as place? Because he is the place of the world, and the world is not his place. He is the place of the world, and the world is not his place. This very esoteric teaching really requires a lot of unpacking and a lot of trying to make sense of what is the significance of Hashem being the place of the world versus the world being the place of, of Hashem. So before we go, in order to try to unpack this, let's just try to understand a little bit. The word makom and the word olam, oilam, the way I was raised, makom and oilam, Yes, the word makaim and oilam, one means place, the other means space. Oilam means space. What's the distinction between space and place? Spaces are undefined areas that exist in reality. Places are defined spaces. There are places in reality that are defined by a particular border, usually Within places, places are defined by what exists in those spaces. And spaces really have no definition. Hashem is called the place of the world, the place of all spaces, as opposed to being a place within a space, which simply means that Hashem is not contained within the world. But the world is contained within Hashem. I might think that all places that exist, exist within the universe, exist within this massive creation of the universe, right? All countries and all of the places in the, in, in the world exist on planet Earth. All of planet Earth contains the different places that exist on planet Earth, and Earth is contained in outer space. The Earth's atmosphere is the space that places exist within. That's the natural way that we would think about these things. But the Medrash is teaching us that you might think that Hashem is contained within the spaces of the universe, and the Medrash is telling you, no, don't think that way. Don't think that places are contained in spaces but rather spaces are contained by the place, the place. Hashem is referred to as the place. The psychiatrist Donald Winnicott in the 1950s 
revolutionized uh, modern psychology by, co by contributing a particular uh, teaching, a particular idea that really made everyone breathe a sigh of relief. Because prior to Donald Winnicott, uh, psychology was formed by a guy named Sigmund Freud. And Freud's belief about reality, Freud's belief about humanity, excuse me, was that all of humanity's challenges and complexes and difficulties and problems and limitations can be traced psychologically back to our parents. All neuroses, Freud felt, came from things that our parents got wrong, right? That's, that's the, the, the contemporary view that we, we all seem to, you know, even jokingly um, think that you're messed up. Well, what happened to your childhood? And based on that theory, modern psychology up until Winnicott was really running around trying to figure out how people can be the perfect parents. I have to make every single thing perfect. If not, my child will end up messed up. And along came a guy named Donald Winnicott, and he talked about becoming a good enough parent. To be a good enough parent, Winnicott said, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get it all right. What you have to do is you have to cre create a container of love and safety for your children. And once you've created that container, your child will have the capacity to thrive. Children need to grow up being contained in their parents' energy, being contained in their parents' life, being contained in the force field of their home. And in order to do that, you don't have to be the perfect parent. You have to be good enough. To me, that's a beautiful description of what this medrash is teaching us about Hashem. I might think that when things feel chaotic and fragmented, that I am creeping, my life is creeping somehow out into oblivion, into the spaces that exist around me, in which case I will fall, free fall into some endless pit of despair, of chaos, of fragmentation, of craziness, of insanity, that there's really no rock bottom. I will continue to plummet and my life will, will end up being destroyed by, by the simple virtue that there's no bottom that will catch me. Obviously, I'm being dramatic. <clears throat> I might think that to fall into oblivion is to fall out of God's embrace. And the Medrash is teaching me, no. Even oblivion, even Gehenna, even hell, even the rock bottom, even the worst possible scenarios you can come up with, the worst places on earth, the worst experiences and worst situations that take place on earth, even in those places and even in those spaces of oblivion, Everything is contained in the force field of Hashem. Hashem contains everything. Hashem holds everything. There is no spaces that is not contained in the place of Hashem. If you're, if you're alive, give me a little bit of a sign of life. You can put up, you don't have to turn your video on. You can just hit the reactions button. Let me know that you're alive and that you're following and that we're, we're moving along and this is good. Good. Okay. So the first idea is that Hashem holds full of reality. Hashem is called the Makom because the place holds the world and allows the world to be vulnerable and alive. That's 
source, that's idea number one. Let's move on. Because of course, we know that the word makom, the word place, sometimes doesn't, doesn't only mean a particular place, right? Sometimes, like to, to be yeshivish, you'll say, what are you holding? What are you up to? Where are you holding? Sometimes it can also mean situation. Sometimes the place that we're in can mean the situation that we're in. It's part of our vernacular. But that's also found. That's found in Mamari Chazal. Like, for example, the Medrash says, the, the, uh, the Mishnah in Perkei Avos says, uh, Don't judge your friend until you get to his place. It doesn't mean that you get to his house and you stand in his shoes. It means that you get to his situation. So sometimes the word makom is used to denote that. We're not going to have time and we're, or we're not going to, uh, I've chosen not to jump to all the different um, um, possible definitions of the word makom. I want to stick with the first one we just said and this one. So here's the Mishnah in Perkei Avos. The Mishnah says, <clears throat> Then as I would say, do not denigrate any man and do not defile anything. Why? Because there is no man who does, who does not have his time and no thing that does not have its own place. Which, which simply, simply means don't denigrate any man because at some point that guy is going to have his moment in the sun and you wouldn't feel too good. If you, made, if you denigrate him, if you knock him down, and then tomorrow you see he's raised up by everyone, you'll feel like an idiot. Or to say it more, like some of the other Mepharshim say, don't knock someone down because it's possible that tomorrow that guy will be on top and he'll knock you down. So it seems to be a, a, simple, a simple message, which of course all of Pirkei Avos has to be learned on being understood that there's a lot more depth to the simple, basic life lessons that are taught there. But seemingly, this is the mission of Pirkei Avos. Ben Azai is teaching, do not denigrate any man, because there's no man who does not not have his time. That's one teaching. And the other teaching is, do not defile anything. There's not, no thing that does not have its place. So now we're going to talk about what the word makom here means. So when I first learned this Mishnah, it really tickled the poetic uh, love affair that I have with nature. And that is really, I think, a teaching that, that um, an experience really that I had, an awareness, I think, that I had a bunch of years ago, really sitting upstate in, uh, in, a, little, in a little forest somewhere and admiring the weeds that were really beautiful flowers and the extremely haphazard nature um, of how branches were totally interlocked and interconnected and um, a tree had fallen and had fallen onto a bunch of other trees. And it looked like, again, just a lot of haphazard chaos. And I was just sitting there wondering about how, like what is the significance of this particular branch wrapped up in that particular branch and this leaf overlapping on that leaf and this tree having fallen exactly in this direction and why specifically the flowers, the particularly the weeds had such beautiful color and it was such, such vibrancy 
And as far as I can tell, there were no other human beings who were sitting in the same place that I was sitting in. And I was sitting there just for a few minutes, um, you know, in the, sp- in the lifespan of, of these flowers. And um, just kind of thinking about how flowers, wildflowers, exist in places that no human beings ever go look. And so what's the significance of it? And it kind of dawned on me then, and I think that's what, what the way I understood this Mishnah, that means that everything in existence has its place. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. You could be an artist and a poet and write a, write a poem about why certain trees are interconnected with others. And in what way I am moved by the scenes that I wrote about before, but it doesn't necessarily capture the essence as to why. And like I tell my clients all the time, and like I've learned from my own mentors in life, we never really need to ask the question why, but we can ask the question what. And the question of what is happening in the middle of the chaos of a forest, in the middle of the chaos of nature, the answer to that question is of what, what is happening there is an awareness that Hashem has arranged it exactly the way it's meant to be. And I don't know why, and I don't know what the purpose of it is, but if you want to see the Yad Hashem in the most unadulterated way, without any traffic, without any noise, go into nature, into a place that is totally untouched by human beings, lose yourself in the beauty of that scene, and recognize that there isn't a blade of grass, the Gemara says, there isn't a blade of grass that doesn't have a malach that is telling it to grow the exact length that it is. That means that there isn't a place in this world, there isn't a place in nature, there isn't a place, there isn't a cup that lays on the floor that was not put there particularly and specifically by Hashem. The the Mishnah teaches us Chazal teaches us, if a person changes their place, they change their mazel. If I move from one place to another, I somehow have changed my mazel. That's for human beings. There's a story of the Arizal. Chaim Vital said about the Arizal, or maybe the Arizal said about himself, that he never so much as killed an ant. He never killed any living animal. He never killed anything. Why? Do not defile anything. That's most likely uh, what the Ariza was tuning into. That everything that exists in reality, even an ant and a cockroach and a moth, everything that exists in reality exists for a purpose. It has a specific makom. It was put there specifically. I know I've shared this story with you before. There's a story of, of Ravari Levine. He said that he was walking with Rav Cook, and he mindlessly ripped a leaf off of a bush. And Rav Cook got very upset and said to him, how could you rip a living thing off of Hashem's earth? How could you mindlessly rip a leaf off of a bush? How could you defile nature like that? And the story that really blew my mind is the story of the Rizhoner. The story that they say about the Rizhoner was that he, he, stopped, he stopped his whole entourage, he stopped his horse. Right, I've shared this with, you, with this with you before. That the original, wherever he went, he had four massive white stallions that pulled this very large gold horse, 
And seemingly wherever he went, he had other wagons that went with him. There was an entourage. Wherever he went, whichever place he traveled to, however he journeyed, he went together with so many different uh, people. It was an event. And the story goes that the Rishner stopped the entire entourage, got down off of his carriage, walked over to a random stone, picked it up, walked a whole long distance to another place, put the stone down and came back on and said to his entourage, let's go, let's keep going. And they said to him, Rebbe, what did you just do? What, what, what kind of strange thing did you just do? And the originator said he somehow felt, he understood that this stone had served its time in this particular place and that he understood that Hashem wanted the stone now to be in somewhere else. Where, what, when, and how, why, I don't know. But the what, I guess the what is, don't defile anything in reality. We just said stories about human beings, stories about the Arizal with animals, story with Rav Kook, with nature, and the story of the Rishner with, with Domeim, with a simple stone. That all of these tzaddikim are teaching us stories about there isn't anything that exists in this world that doesn't have its place. How beautiful would it be if we can if we can remain in awe and live in the moments of awe, of being present in the places that we are and recognizing that in the places that we are, Hashem's hand has arranged it to be just so. And that's lesson number two. Again, lesson number one is nothing that exists in this world is outside the containing embrace of Hashem. Lesson number two is there is nothing that doesn't have a a place. Lesson number three, and for me, this is really uh, the most mind-blowing and explosive interpretation of the word makom, and is really the, the, uh, the purpose of this discussion tonight and the introduction to everything that we are going to learn about Eretz Yisrael. The Svas Emes on this Mishnah in Perkei Avos that we just read of Ein Lecha Davish Ein Makom. I didn't uh, print the Hebrew version of what the Svas Emes says, but I printed the English. And this is what the Svas Emes, the really, the mind-blowing, and I would say the di- dimension-defying explanation of the Svas Emes. He's moving from the dimension of space and reinterpreting the word makom in a way that is fundamental and I think foundational for each and every one of us. So listen to what the Svasemis on this Mishnah says. The Svasemis says, again in English, in everything, there is a life force from Hashem. And this life force is called makom. Again, in everything, there is a life force from Hashem. There is a chios from God. There is a life force from Hashem. And this life force is called Makom. And this is what the Medrash says, quoting our Medrash we just said before. This is what it means when the Medrash says, Hashem is the Makom of the world, and the world is not the Makom of Hashem. So the Sasema says, so Hashem is called Makom by Chazal. Why? Because the aspect of life that resides in all that exists is called Makom. It's almost the exact flip side of the way we understood the Medrash. We understood the Medrash to mean that Hashem exists outside of everything and contains everything. 
And here the Svasemis is reinterpreting that Medrash to say, and also, and also, the aspect of life that resides in everything that exists is called Makom. Hashem is called Makom by Chazal because the aspect of life that resides in all that exists is called Makom. And this is what it means, what the Mishnah says. Don't say about anything that it is completely removed from holiness. Even when we talk about things that are evil, nothing that is evil is completely removed from holiness because even evil things have their place. And that means that they have a spark of holiness that keep it alive. And of course, as Miriam uh, put into the chat, this is really two major concepts that we need to understand in our relating to Hashem. And that is, one is called the Arpnimi, the light that's within, and one is the Ar Makif, the light that contains. Simple, simple shot of those concepts that we're not, we're not going into uh, <clears throat> the depth of what those concepts mean you know, on, on the most basic way. What the Svasemis is spinning this entire Medrash to say is, it's not spinning. He's giving, he's giving the other side of the coin. Everything has a life force. The life force is called Makom. What makes me tick? What gives the stones in the story of the Rizhner? What gives the leaf in the story of Ravari Levine and from Rav Kook? What gives the Arizal, the ant, and what gives the human being life force? God. That life force, that little piece of life force that exists within each and every one of us is called the makom. It's a very interesting thing. In some way, in somehow, what the Svasemis is teaching us is that my neshama is called makom. That chius, that life force that allows me to exist, that allows me to operate, that when you take that away, I am dead. That life force is called Makom, the place. So this is really mind-blowing. Because really what the Svasamis is teaching us is, is that the place is something inside. Which means, this is really dimension-blowing, I think. It's dimension-defying. It's crossing dimensions. My body is not the place that my soul resides in. But my body, I'm sorry, my body, right. My body is not the place that where my soul resides in. My soul is the place that my body resides in. Again, it's not that my body contains my soul. It's that my soul contains my body. Let's understand what that means. Who is the Balhabas? Who contains who? If we go back to that Medrash, we can un- read that Medrash and say like this. Mifnei ma mechanin. Why is my soul sometimes referred to as the place? Why? That's the way the Svasemis would learn to understand what this measure says. That means why is my neshama sometimes referred to as the place? Because my soul is the place of my body. And my body is not the place of my soul. So that means if somebody were to ask me, where are you? The answer to that is not to answer 
that I am in the physical place that I am in? The answer is, where are you? The answer to that question is, where is my soul? Another way of saying this is when somebody were to ask me, where are you? It's another way of saying, how are you? And really, to me, it's the depth of, what, of, what, of, of really explaining. Don't judge a person until you reach his place. What does it mean you reach his place? It means you reach his soul. Don't judge someone until you can reach their soul. You never know the internal motivations as to what brings someone to think something, do something, feel something, act something. You never know. You can't be judgmental of someone else because you can never be in their soul, not their shoes, in their soul. You can never know their intentions. You can never know their life experiences. You can never know their responsibilities. You can never know what's weighing on them. Until you know that stuff, you can never be judgmental of them. Because until you can be in their place, what does their place mean? It says Until you can be in their life force, you can never be judgmental of them because you can never know. Because you can never know. So, of course, we can't go through any class without Rav Cook. We certainly can't go through any class without, uh, on Eretz Yisrael, without Rav Cook. Says Rav Cook. So Rav Cook is found in Aris HaKodesh. The source is there. Again, this is my translation of the writings of Rav Cook. Rav Cook writes, all character traits can be elevated because all character traits are rooted in holiness. Right? That's what the Swasama says. Nothing in evil can be removed from Kedusha. No evil could be removed from holiness because there is nothing that doesn't have a, a life force of godliness. There's nothing that doesn't have Kedusha in it. You cannot eradicate Kedusha. You can't squeeze Kedusha out of anything. That's the way the originator was able to see a stone and know where the stone should be. What does it mean? What is the amkus of that story? that really wild, crazy-sounding, mystical story of the Rishner stopping everything just to get up and move a stone from one place to the other. What he was saying is, is that the life force in that stone spoke to him, the neshama, the soul of that stone, which we don't even think, we don't even think of the material world of, of domain as having a life force. But of course, that's what the Svasamis is teaching, teaching us. There is no thing that can be material enough that it doesn't have a life force, that it doesn't have a makom. The originator was saying that in the life force of this stone, the life force is now needed to be moved to a different place, which in and of itself is almost like a, um, uh, a double entendre. Move the place to a place. So says Rav Cook, all character traits can be elevated because all character traits are rooted in holiness, except for hopeless depression. Now, I'm translating that from the Hebrew. He's, he write, writes the word atzvus. I'm translating the word atzvus as hopeless depression. It's not just hopelessness, and it's not just depression, but hopeless depression. Again, all character traits can be elevated because all character traits are rooted in holiness, except for hopeless depression, which has no root at all. Again, in every midah that you can learn about Musser and go to a therapist and deal with all midas, you can find a, an expression of that mida in a positive way, except for hopeless depression, except for atzvus. Why? Atzvus needs to be 
in the words of Rabbi Nachman, needs to be uprooted. In the words of Rav Kook, it's, it needs to be healed. But the truth is, it needs to be excavated. That's the word I like. It needs to be excavated. Excavated means it needs to be dug out. We need to dig into it because the more you dig into it, the more you discover about it. Because hopelessness itself has no root. The Pasuk says, because strength and joy are where? In his place. Strength and joy are in his place. And we need to elevate the core of everything since when the root of things are elevated, the rest of things are elevated. And the root of hopeless depression is either arrogance, anger, anxiety, and other things like it that come from the environment, that come from the outside. In other words, you have to really think this through deeply. What Rav Kook is teaching me here is that atzvus, hopeless depression, in and of itself, is the presence of absence. It's not real absence. It's the presence of something that feels like absence, something that comes in from the outside. Again, in the way it's meant to be, my body, the physical body that physically contains my soul is not really my place. My soul contains my body. So that means if my soul contains my body, that means that my body is contained within my soul. That means nothing gets in and nothing gets out without my soul agreeing to it, except if things are messed up, if the makom is messed up, if there's a korban, so to speak, if there's a misalignment with my life force, then my, my goof is left vulnerable and then things can be poured into it. So Rav Cook says that hopeless depression comes from arrogance, anger, anxiety, and other things like it that come from the outside. That's emptiness. Emptiness is not something that can be elevated because emptiness is not real. Hopelessness is not something that can be elevated because hopelessness is not something that's real. We're going to move on to the next piece, the last piece from Rav Cook, which is really, it's not in the same place, but it's also in Arisakadesh. It's really the answer to emptiness. And Rav Cook says, Again, just to go back a step, right? That's what we're saying. The makom. In the makom of Hashem, that means when a person is living in the containment of Hashem and at the same time living with the life force that Hashem has given me and I'm aligned with who I am, then I am full of joy and strength. But when I'm not in that space, when I am not connected to that space and I'm off from the chiyas and I'm not connected from the chiyas, and Atzvus starts to set in, then I have to find a way to fix that. So Rav Cook says here, an individual must find themselves within themselves. I wish we could take this line and teach it to every mechanech and every, and every therapist. The mechanechim need to understand that everything about Yiddishkeit begins with knowing yourself, and the therapists need to understand that everything about knowing yourself is holy and religious. Says Rav Kook, Again, just to say, say these words, An individual must find themselves within themselves. I must find myself within myself. My conscious mind runs around chaotic, 
like that forest I was describing, chaos reigns, every thought, every possibility, every responsibility, every idea, every ideal, every, every uh, demand, every interest, every impulse, v'chule, v'chule, v'chule. every single thought flies around my mind and I am a chaotic hot mess. I have to find myself within myself. It doesn't just mean to ground myself and be mindful. That would be a very, very terribly shallow uh, definition. What it means to find myself within myself means that I, I, I know how to relate to myself. It means that I know how to connect to myself. It means that I recognize that 99% of the problems I have with the people around me do not have to do with them. They have to do with the way I relate to me. Rav Cook says, an individual must find themselves within themselves and then, after that, find themselves within the world they inhabit, like their friends, community, and their nation. I cannot find myself through other people. I cannot find myself by trying to relate to other people. I can't find myself by trying to relate to a role, to a situation, to a community. I can't find myself by trying to relate to God. I can't find myself by trying to relate to the Torah. I must first find myself within myself. If I can't find myself within myself, everything's a hot, chaotic mess. Why is that true? To go back to the Svasemes, because the Svasemes is teaching me Everything has a place. And what is the place? The place is the chiyos in me, the space in me, the life force that's given to me for me to be me. If I can't find my rut zone, if I can't find my essence, if I can't find my existence, then I am nothing. Then I can't relate to the world. Then no matter where I am, I'll be unsettled. So if you want to know where should I settle, the answer is settle within myself. Mishana Mako Mishana Mazel does not mean in this, in this way, it does not mean if you move to Seattle, you'll have a better Mazel. Mishana Mako means change your relationship with yourself. If I can change my relationship with myself, I will see the Mazel, which means everything that goes on around me, all the situations that I'm in, all the Shefa that I get from Hashem, if I change who I am, Everything around me will change. The more I find myself, the more I have the capacity to find others. Again, we are not using the word self here as some kind of grounding method, meditative, mindful experience of being alone with yourself. That's good. But that's much more of a shallow version of what we're talking about. I'm talking about spending a lifetime working on developing a relationship with, getting to know and understand and expand my awareness of what I'm possible of and expand my capabilities of what I'm possible of. And a human being must find themselves within themselves because that is the makom of who I am. That is the life force of who I am. Any of my unsettledness in life with my neighbors, with my friends, with my lovers, with my partners, with my family members, with my bosses, any of that unsettledness. It's not to say that there aren't negative people, but I cannot pretend to deal with them until I know how to deal with myself. If I don't know what's getting triggered in me and I don't know how I'm going to deal with that within myself, 
I have no business going to them and asking them to change. Then I have no business turning to them and saying to them, you're causing me a problem. No, the distance between my friend's actions and my reaction, even though it happens instantaneously, is a million miles. And it's my job to traverse the million miles between what they do to me and my reactions to me. And to be a little bit not PC, even when someone inflicts a tremendous amount of harm on me, even when someone does something to me that's atrocious, even when somebody gives me a reason to want to kill myself for something bad that they've done to me, because they, not me particularly, but me in the, in the figurative, in the first person to represent all of humanity, even if someone were to have abused me, treated me in the most horrible way, I have a choice. I can do like Rav Cook says, I can reclaim my relationship with myself or I can live the rest of my life calling the victim card and being a martyr. Certainly the, the Jews who left the Holocaust uh, have left us with a continued amount of intergenerational PTSD, post-traumatic kinds of stress. But if there's something that the Jewish community can show about having left the Holocaust, as opposed to many others, if not every other nation that have left persecution, is that the Jewish people never looked as a whole, as a nation, we've never looked for revenge. Yeah, sure, it's true. Yeah, your Bubby didn't buy BMW, it's fine. But at the end of the day, we never looked for revenge because we understood, built into who we are, it's not just about Asif Sainas Yaakov. It's built into the, the essence of who, who we are, the resilience of going back to me. So you tried to kill me. So you put me in concentration camps. So you killed three quarters of my entire country. Okay, that really was very painful. And now I'm going to go back and build up my life again. I'm not going to pay attention to you. It's not, it's not relevant to me. I'm not giving you the, the benefit of turning around and trying to find a way to persecute you. The saddest thing is when people go through terrible trauma and for many years, decades later, they're still bothered with it. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone has the capacity to heal to the nth degree, but the non-PC thing that I'm saying is that this lesson from of Cook here, from Aris HaKadosh is, I must find myself within myself. Only after I am able to live fully within myself, from myself, and in relation to myself, can I live and find myself in the world around me. So the introduction to this whole discussion about Eretz Yisrael, to go back, if the entire world was created from a stone that was built and created into the earth of Eretz Yisrael first, and my flesh and your flesh and our flesh as humans were taken from that ground of the Evan Shasia in Eretz Yisrael. If, as we're learning tonight, the definition of we're as a place is somehow tied into and twisted into who I am and how I am and how I relate to how I am, 
then essentially what we're saying is, is there's some kind of strange, twisted mind game that we need to get in touch with within ourselves that my relationship to Eretz Yisrael is to be in the right place is to be at home within myself. And I am created from that place of Eretz Yisrael. That means somewhere, somehow, my connection to Eretz Yisrael is defined by that Eretz Yisrael is me. I am Eretz Yisrael. My place is in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is a part of me. I'm purposefully not unpacking any of that. Because I want us to exercise, to do a little exercise. So now let's free write about this. Could be as deep and as shallow as you'd like. And it's a very simple question. Let's write about my connection to Eretz Yisrael. So the question is this, in what way does it feel like Eretz Yisrael is my place? It could be Chumus. It could be this entire Shir. It can be Halacha, whatever it is. In what way is Eretz Yisrael my place? Just for the purposes of the recording, I'm, I'm going to end off uh, this. Well, we'll, those of us that are going to remain on, we can certainly spend more time writing. But I just wanted to wish every one of us the bracha of finding our own places within our lives, finding our own connection to Eretz Yisrael, being mindful and spending more time to figure out in what way I am connected to Eretz Yisrael, I individually, I as, as a community, and a bracha that Hashem returns us to Eretz Yisrael with the coming of Mashiach from here, Thank you, everyone.